So here is the big question. How do entrepreneurs like us, who started sales or direct selling or network marketing, how did we start our journey but now feel stuck, feel like we're struggling or we can't level up to where we want to be, where we know we can be? How do we break through and prove everybody wrong, wrong. show ourselves that we are successful and show ourselves that we can win? That is the big question. And this is the podcast that will give you the answers. My name is Lisa Hawker, and this is Direct AF Sales. Well, let's just get right down to it. Let's turn it over to the man. I am so grateful, Tony, that you are on here with me today. I am so excited to have my audience listen to you. Um, You've got so much wisdom and you are so real and so connected with young entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who need a helping hand. So with that, would you introduce yourself? Hey, thanks for the opportunity, Lisa. It's good to connect. And you know, thank you for attending our recent event. We got to know each other a little bit and looking forward to many more of those opportunities. But yeah, for me, my name is Tony Watley. I grew up here in the Houston area. So I'm, I'm still a native Houstonian is what we would say. Two hardworking parents, middle class, lower middle class. My mom worked her way through the public school systems as a cafeteria worker. And my dad was in the U.S. Marines as a Vietnam vet. And when he got out of the military, he worked in the chemical refineries here in the Houston area. So I got to watch them work extremely hard. And we didn't have the means to afford a lot of nice things. And we still had government assistance and things like that. And I didn't even realize what that was back then. Looking back, I realized like, oh, crap, we actually had government cheese and food and stuff like that. But that was just normal life to me. And you know, although I don't, I don't want to paint it as a, a life of despair, we had a really happy childhood, my sister and I, but we just didn't have a lot of money. So I've always been very optimistic. And I would say that my sister is, is very well. She's very uh, optimistic and happy as well. So I think that it was a testament of my parents not having the financial means, but giving us everything else but that. That's incredible to have parents like that and who encouraged you to go into your entrepreneurial journey. I remember you telling a story a few times. I think I've heard it, um, but I love the story about how you would go grocery shopping with your mom and you'd go over to the magazine rack. Can you can you share that? Yeah, that that was I don't know if I was just odd or what, but that that's exactly what I did. I'd go to the grocery store with my mom. And I love to read. I've always been fascinated with reading and looking at cars and things like that. And I remember initially I would go to the grocery store and she would, she would go shopping and I'd go to the magazine rack and I'd, I'd read my car magazines. I'd read Hot Rod and Motor Trend and things like that. But then I always saw in the corner of my eye, like the different section of that magazine rack. And it was all these magazines talking about money and success. And after a few months or years or however long I did that, I realized like, maybe I should be reading some of those because I don't have any money. Our family doesn't have any money, so maybe I can figure out what's in those magazines and kind of unlock the key or find some kind of secret to it. So I would actually do that. I would read the car magazines real quick, and then I would move over to the, the success type magazines like Entrepreneur and Forbes and things like that. And I would read those. And eventually, back then, subscriptions were pretty cheap. And I, I remember asking my mom, can I get a subscription to these? And I had a subscription to, I think it was Forbes and Success back then that I would read. And I would, I didn't understand all the stuff in it, but I would read them cover to cover, even the ads, just trying to figure out what they were talking about. And 
probably within six, seven months, I started to finally understand what they were talking about. And it wasn't as foreign to me. And it was weird because I never really thought about that growing up. I just thought that was what people did. I thought that was normal. But yeah, looking back at it now as an adult, like that was pretty strange for a kid at that age. I was 10, 12 years old when I had that subscription and realizing that, yeah, that's a little bit different. It's an amazing um, attribute that your mom had as well to um, encourage and support that, right? I'm sure. So you, you've already indicated Monday was tight. It wasn't flowing. And so for her to be able to say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give this 11-year-old a subscription to Forbes magazine. I mean, that really is incredible. And that support you've got from your family, but that internal drive that you have, right? That you're either born, I, th- I think you're either born with it some can develop it, but it sounds to me like you were born with this kind of drive. You're the first one to go to college in your family. Yeah, that's correct. On my mother's side and my father's, I was the first one to go to university. And even that wasn't easy. I had to pay for it myself. I remember being 18 and my dad's like, hey, do you want to go to college? And I was getting excited. And he's like, I said, yeah. He's like, well, you can get a job and pay for it, or you can join the military and they'll pay for it. So those are your options. Get after it. <laughs> so you paid for it. I actually was going to join the military and last minute he talked me out of it because of his, his combat experience. And he was really, he saw that I was serious about doing it. I'm patriotic as well. So I always wanted to be a fighter pilot, you know, Top Gun came out when we were young and, you know, I was like, you know, I like fast cars and I've always been fascinated with jets and world war II aircraft. So I was like, I'm going to go be a pilot. I got perfect eyes. My, my physical size is perfect for that. I got the intelligence. I can go do this. And really it was like the last week I was about to go sign up. And my dad's like, you know, don't, don't join the military just because of a financial reason. Because you don't, you hear all the good things when you're external, but when you're inside, you realize there's a lot of negative as well. And he, he told me that getting out of the military was the best thing he ever did in his life because while he was in the Marines, they made it feel, they made him feel that the rest of the world didn't like him and they didn't welcome him. And obviously this was the 1970s when they came back from war. It was a whole different era for, for Vietnam vets. They really got mistreated by the media and, and by the people. So he, he just said, you know, don't do it for financial reasons. If you want to go to school, you can always find a job. It's not that expensive. So he kind of talked me out of it. And that's what I did. I actually started working construction just like he did at age 18, working out in chemical refineries, digging ditches, grinding pipe, doing stick rod welding, just really simple stuff and making probably back then 10 to 15 bucks an hour. It wasn't your only job in college though, right? Didn't you have two or three? Yeah. In high school and even in my early twenties, I was working in restaurants as well. My first job was McDonald's age 15. And I learned a lot of things at McDonald's for two and a half years. I was there during high school and I worked at Olive Garden as a waiter. Then I went to manage a restaurant at a place called Bradley's, which was one of the first microbreweries before they were a thing, they were actually one of the first ones in Houston. And I got a job there as a waiter, eventually became a manager of that restaurant. So I enjoyed the service industry. I enjoyed the restaurant industry, the, the high pace, the just talking with people, getting to know the regular customers, making sure everybody was happy and taken care of. And also learned a lot about sales in that, that aspect for 10 years in restaurants. So what did you graduate with? I mean, what did you do before you became an entrepreneur, which I really want to get into? Um, because it sort of happened in the very, very beginning. It happened by accident, didn't it? Well, I would say it was a means to get what I wanted, right? Like to give you an example, even when I was young, I'd go to the shoe store with my mom 
And I would always want Nike shoes because they were the thing. You know, Michael Jordan was popular back then and, and Nike was still the big name and we couldn't afford them. So I'd always have to leave the store with like these no-name shoes and like off-brands. And so I always learned how not to say like I can't afford it. I always ask myself, what do I need to do to afford that? And I've always been wired that way. So I've, I've always been really resourceful trying to figure out what it takes to get what I want. And the starting of businesses was really just to replace the second and the third jobs that I was working even after I got my engineering degree. So I graduated mechanical engineering, took me seven years. I was going to taking about two to three courses a semester, going to school at nighttime, working full time in the day. And then in the evenings, I would work that I wasn't going to school. I was waiting tables. And on the weekends, I was waiting tables. And even as a mechanic at one of the local speed shops, just helping on cars on Saturdays and Sunday mornings. So yeah, three jobs going to school full time and everybody told me I was going to fail and that I'd never be able to graduate because it's just too much. And I wanted to prove them wrong. So I remember the, the, the freshman orientation, them, them saying that, you know, like if you got a full time job, you're never going to graduate engineering. The, the odds are against you. And I was like, well, this is the only option I have. So I guess I'm going to have to prove them wrong. And I did. So that's that's who I am. Yeah, you you strike me as the type of person who, when somebody tells you, you can't do this or you're going to fail at this, that's a challenge. It's on. Absolutely. I almost thrive on that. It's it's kind of like, watch me. You know, I actually have a shirt that says, (laughs) the epitome of just watch me. And it's true because I always felt like I was counted out a lot of times in grade school and junior high and things like that for leadership opportunities because I didn't have a legacy last name. And maybe my dad wasn't in the the city council or famous and had a main street business. So you always think that people give you equal opportunity to leadership, but we all know that was like a hierarchy, even within schools. Like I, I was at the same school for 12 years and I got to see the kids were handpicked because of their legacy parents or the older sibling that was a star quarterback before them. Or, you know, so I started to see this cycle even then I was like, you know what, this, I feel like I'm kind of getting passed up. I'm getting left out. I, I want to be a leader. I think I can be a leader. My dad is a leader. I can see how this works, but I never felt like I got the fair opportunity. So after that, after college, I started to really thinking about like, how do I going to, how am I going to prove this? How am I going to do this on my own? And I think that looking back is like, I, I wish I that schools would actually teach genuine confidence and genuine leadership to everybody, not the people that they just handpick. Well, that's the beauty of entrepreneurs like you. You create your opportunity. You're, you see very clearly, this, it, this is a situation that isn't fair. I'm not being given equal chance. So I'm going to fucking create my own opportunity. That's right. right? That's right. <laughs> we, really, we get to create our own reality. Most people think that it's just it's just identity. That's just one aspect. We can actually create our own reality. The things that we believe, you should be able to challenge every single thing that you believe, even the hot topics of politics and religion, things like that are really deeply ingrained and rooted from our socioeconomic background. Everything that you think that you believe, understand that it could have been some completely 180 degree different belief, equally strong, had you just been born in a different zip code or had a different set of parents. So talk to me about building 365 Driven. 365 Driven is an entrepreneurship community, and I'm a community builder. So I've built two large automotive communities. I built one over 300,000 registered members. That was ls1tech.com. And performancetrucks.net came maybe a couple of years after that one. That one grew to over 280,000 registered members. So I'm very comfortable growing large online communities and being a embedded leader of those rather than trying to sit at the top of those and thinking it's all about me. 
I always want to make sure I facilitate those conversations and links between each and every member of the community so that they become best friends and they build strong connections between themselves because they're always going to remember where they met each other and where they're going to hang out. It's kind of like I like to build the local bar, but online. You know, when you watch the movies and, and shows like Cheers, when they walk in or are friends and everybody knows your name and they all keep coming back to the place that they hung out and met at, that you can do this on virtual events and virtual things. And so I said, okay, if that's one of my strengths, which I didn't even realize that was one of my strengths, even after building those two companies, I started to realize like, that's who I am. That's what I'm good at. So why are why am I not building this for an entrepreneurship group? The other thing I have a lot of passion for. So how did you first start building those first two online communities before we get into 365 driven? My bad. <laughs> yeah. The first thing I started was I was an active member on an existing website that was very similar. And the person that was managing it, he was the second owner. The guy sold it. The original guy sold it. The second guy bought it. The second guy didn't run how to know how to manage it properly. And really he wasn't paying his, his hosting bill. So we would log in sometimes and the site wouldn't even exist. It would just be like nothing was there. And we were the ones creating all the content. We were writing the how-to articles, doing the videos, like just voluntarily because we like to cr- contribute value and create stuff. Just right. like people so, post on Facebook or blogs. So what year was this? This was 98, 99 for that website. And this wasn't an income producer for you at the time. No, I just enjoyed hanging out with other people that had like-minded interests and, and creating value. I've always been that person. So in the very beginning, it was a passion project. Correct. Okay. And so when we approached this guy, we said, hey, we see that you've got advertisers. We know you're making money. We know that renting a, a server is not that expensive. Why aren't you just paying your bills? And, and instead of like taking that as constructive feedback, he said, well, if you think you could do a better job, why don't you go start your own website? And at that point, I was already building websites that had taught myself how to do HTML and Photoshop and coding. And I was like, well, that's a good idea. So I went and started my own website. And then I started the website. And I remember letting him know, hey, I started my own website. Then he was kind of still cocky. And he said, well, when you have more registered members than me, you can tell me how to run a website. So by the end of that year, we had surpassed his membership. He'd been around for two years and within one year, we'd already passed him up. So I made sure to screenshot that and email him again and said, <laughs> hey, I have more than you now. And so we were just off the races. We were number one and nobody was even close. There were so many that tried to be copycats to try to do what we were doing. Probably hundreds of websites that tried to do what we were doing, but we were the number one in the market and nobody was even close. It's because we ran it like a business. Most people run things like a hobby. We just run things as a business. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and this is a passion project while you're building a family, while you're building a business, while you're building an income as a mechanical engineer. Yeah. Right? I just wanted yeah. a place to hang out. I was actually still waiting tables. I was going through a really, really rough patch of my life in, in 99 and 2000. I had a newborn son, a, a failed relationship with his mother. It was very toxic and I was in a depressive state and I just needed some way to escape. And I, and I always found that if I'm not being creative because I am a creative person. I'm a visionary. I can see things and I'm very artistic and I like to build things with my hands. And if I'm not doing something creative, whether that's digital or building a car in my shop or, or anything or writing a book, just something I'm creative. If I'm not doing that, I don't feel fulfilled. I feel like I'm just wasting my time. And I feel like I just, the end of each day is kind of just dismal. So this website was really an escape for me because my reality at that time sucked. I was unemployed for six months. Nobody was hiring. I didn't have enough experience to get a better job. There was an industry downturn. I was living off of credit cards. And 
being able to just sit there for maybe an hour a day and, and build this website, it was, it was my escape. It was like the only glimmer of hope that I could actually see in the distant future. And it wasn't supported. You know, I, the, the mother of my son, she would actually laugh at the things I was doing and say it was a waste of time. And that guys talking about cars on the internet was stupid and stuff like that. So yeah, there's a reason that there's, we're no longer together. Yeah. But you kept going. I kept going. I kept and what, going. And what happened with it? So it grew into something that I just wanted to create a cool place for people to hang out and share value. And, and it was actually stable. It was always going to be there. And to something that was profiting about $400,000 a year as a side business. And in 2007, we sold that for a couple million. Wow. You guys, I mean, you know, when people are in a nine to five and they're unhappy and they're in an unhappy relationship and there's nothing coming into their lives, forget about money for a minute, but when there's nothing coming into their lives, that's bringing them joy and bringing them passion and bringing them their escape, bringing them hope. Why not start a side hustle that even if it doesn't bring in any money, because Jesus Christ, you started this thing to avoid depression, to create community, to provide an opportunity for yourself, for a place for hope for you and other like-minded individuals. And it turns into you selling it for multi-million. If that's not inspirational, I don't know what the fuck is. I mean, honestly, good for you, you, man. And the thing is, is we didn't call things side hustle or side business back then. I get, I get that that's the title of my book, right? Side hustle millionaire. But I, I honestly don't like that. Now that I've looked back at it a couple of years, because the book's been out three years, I kind of don't like it. I used it because that's what was re- relevant and people are looking for that right now. But when you call any business a side business or a hobby business, the problem with that is that you're going in with the wrong mentality. Even in my book, I talk about this because if you think of it as a hobby, you're going to get hobby results. If you treat things as part-time and less important, you're going to get part-time, less important results. And I see so many people out there just wasting their time doing things that take too much of their time. They're not putting a lot of passion and energy behind what they're building because they're just building a side business. Well, you know what? To me, side, the word side really is the amount of time, right? It's, not, it's, it's the income. Like the one that's taking more of your time is your full time. The one that's taking less of your time is your side business. But your side business can earn you a lot more than your full-time job. It did for me for several years. So I don't like people really lowering the priority or the love or the passion for their business because they have a full-time job. I mean, I had an engineering job. I was making six figures by that point when we started to do really well. And I never looked at my business as like, oh, that's just a little hobby thing that I'm doing. No, we ran it like a business. We, we didn't know what that meant at the initial part. It grew into a business but we didn't just keep it as a hobby. I saw other people building websites and doing things like that. And they would just keep things like as a hobby forever. And they never got the results we got. Yeah. You know, but don't you think that people um, call it a side business or a side hustle because there's so much innate fear in so many people to give it any more credibility. Like if they give it more importance and they don't do well at it, you know, they don't want to be embarrassed. So what, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would think that that's, that's one of the reasons people will label a side hustle. It's kind of tongue in cheek. It's kind of cute. It's kind of like, oh, I'm just dabbling. And, you know, if it fails, it fails. And like, okay, cool. Like, like to me, if you're not even going to take it serious, don't even try. Like if you're not going to commit to putting in the work for the first year minimum, don't even try. Don't even start. Like 
go be, go do, go find a better hobby. Yeah. Either burn the boat, <laughs> just burn the boat. Right. Just, There's just no turning back. Just go all in because what's the worst that can happen? No, it, the problem is, is that most people will start a side business and then they'll, they'll just cut corners and they'll cheap out. Okay. So let's say that you have a steady job and all your bills are paid and you got an extra amount of money that's coming in every month. You can actually take higher risks than someone that's full-time entrepreneur. You can actually spend more money because all your bills are paid. You can actually do things the right way because you have lower risk of losing everything than a traditional full-time entrepreneur. But most people don't see it this way. They think, okay, I got this full-time job. I'm putting some savings away. I've got a newer car. My house is, or my apartment is nice. And I'm just going to be, I'm just going to just do things really half-assed and do shortcut everything and try to make this little side business happen. But the problem is, is that, Anytime you enter the arena, the marketplace, the potential buyers that are out there shopping, they don't care if you're doing things halfway or full time. They don't care. They just want the product or the service that you're offering. And they're going to compare you against people who do it really well. So you may be a beginner and you go, oh, you know, I'm just learning things. I'm just not as good. And But if you get your 12-year-old nephew to build you a website and it looks very amateur level and you got this crappy logo maker on your phone that you're using for your logo and you're doing all this crappy branding and your crappy website and your crappy positioning and your terrible message. It doesn't matter if the product's good because people are going to look at what you're putting out there and what the real big big boys and the big companies are putting out there. And they're going to compare whether it's fair or not. It doesn't matter because the market determines what you're worth. And if you go half-ass and do things half-ass, it's going to look half-ass and guess what? Nobody's going to buy anything from you. So you have to position yourself to create the perspective that you're a bigger company or that you're more established than you truly are. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Just most people really just think that, oh, I'm small and people will take it easy on me and I don't have to take it as serious. Well, you're never going to have the, the revenue either. Right, right. I'm glad you mentioned your your best-selling book, Side Hustle Millionaire. What, what was your intent behind writing that book? I mean, biz, you know, books generally don't tend to bring in a ton of revenue, right? It's a passion project. So what was your intent behind writing that book? I really only started admitting this in recent months, but writing that book was a somewhat cowardly way for me to get the information that was in my head and put it out to the public. Because at the idea, which happened probably five years before I started to write the book, I was thinking about writing this book, right? Because I've seen so many people out there teaching the wrong stuff. And I just wanted to write a book that's going to teach stuff. But I was not the right person confidence wise or skill wise to put myself in front of a camera or get on stages or do a podcast, things that I'm all doing now. And so I said, well, if I write this book, then it's a good way at least to get the information out there and people can get it. And then I'll feel good about myself. And the whole time I'm writing this, I'm realizing like, I'm just doing this so I don't have to be in front of an audience. I could actually be a New York times bestseller and nobody even had to recognize me. And I'd be okay with that back then. Right. And so the book, I hate to say it, I bet you there's a lot of people that have written books that actually agree. It's, it's a cowardly way of building something that could potentially impact thousands, if not millions of people, but you can keep a private lifestyle. You can be in the shadows. You may not even realize, like you could probably read a book, some author that's not a celebrity and be like, this is the awesomest book I've ever read. And you don't know what they look like. If they were to walk right by you in the shopping center, you wouldn't even say hi because you wouldn't recognize them. So being behind a book title is actually a good way to get it out there without, without making it public. That's so interesting. I honestly, I had no idea, 
But I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I agree with you that it's a cowardly way because you're still putting yourself out there, right? So, you know, I just published this book and it was scary as F yeah. <laughs> to do, right? Yeah, so, I, yeah. so for you to say it, writing a book is a cowardly way to get your information out there. I don't know. I think well, it's just- but It is for me. It is okay. for me. It's not for everybody, but I knew that I had a lot more potential. Yeah. I knew that I, I should be- have the confidence and the lower insecurities to, to get on stage. I, I knew I, all these things, the check boxes that I should be, and this is how I would do it better. But that was kind of the lowest hanging fruit. Like writing the book was the lowest hanging fruit. That was the easiest effort of all the things that I had to go through, which I eventually had to go through anyways. But I didn't realize this, but I was just kind of lying to myself when I was writing it. But the beautiful lesson in hearing you talk about this for the listeners is that no matter how how well you do, how successful in air quotes, no, you can't see me, but how successful you are, how well known you are, how much money you've made, how many projects you've done and how fabulous you are. Everybody's still fucking afraid to take the next step. Absolutely. It never goes away. And so for people who are listening, who are either in, you know, my downline or indirect sales or in an MLM or in affiliate marketing or social selling or any sales, there's always going to be something to be afraid of. So I'm so grateful for you for admitting that. Right. Yeah. You know, know, the thing is, is that we all think that, but very few people will admit that a lot of times people will put that stoic face on and be like, I'm fearless. I live fearless and everything's easy. And it's just not true. The ones that act more fear, fearless usually have the highest insecurities. Have you found, this is what I'm finding in my experience become I'm a very young new entrepreneur, but this is what I'm finding. The more fearful I am, the more excited I'm getting. Do you find that? Absolutely. I'm an adrenaline junkie. So I, I thought about being a stunt man when I was a kid. So I was always <laughs> the I was always a kid that would put the extra brick under the bike ramp and I would jump off the roof. And you know, I remember watching MTV's Jackass and thinking like they made a career out of what I used to do. Like that's cool. <laughs> Um, I just have a couple more questions. I know I'm not sure how much time you have, and I want to be really thoughtful and careful of your time. Um, So feel free to cut me off. You do one-on-one coaching um, for very elite entrepreneurs. And you, you know, in, in your program, the entrepreneur has to actually apply. It's not part of 365 Driven. It's something in addition to that. Okay. You cover a lot of mindset in your book. And my question to you is, um, can you talk a little bit about, without giving your secrets of your one-on-one coaching away, talk about the importance of mindset and your number one or your top tip for um, creating a healthy mindset for, for newer entrepreneurs? I think that mindset is definitely the foundation of everything, but I also think that success is based on the principles of success, not all these fancy objects and silver bullets and magic potions. Like, I mean, I get a lot of people are reading all these crazy books and listen to all the podcasts and they're, they're, they're hiring all these things and buying all these courses, but they, ha- they haven't achieved anything beyond consuming. They're not creating. And when you start to look at the things like integrity and consistency, like the fundamentals, the real fundamentals, they often get overlooked. Mindset is just part of that because 
we always think that the fundamentals we grew up with, we hear these in our entire lives. Like when someone says, hey, be consistent, show up consistently, consistently put in the work. We always nod our heads and we're like, yeah, I got that. I got that. What's the, what's the cool stuff? Where's the sauce? Where's the icing? Like there's got to be more to this, but it's really not. If it goes back to the fundamentals, if you just execute, show up every damn day, put in the actual work and create the task list of the things that you have to accomplish to achieve each goal and each milestone to get to that goal, you're going to get there whether you like it or not, if you just execute. So it's just consistency has always been my big word. And for most people, mindset is really a lack of confidence. That, that's what it kind of comes down to. We think it's all these like intangibles, like it's confidence. And someone goes, well, I'm not confident. How do I gain confidence? I, I wasn't born confident. It's like, that's another lie. It's, confidence is something that's learned or something that's stolen from you, but it's, it's not something you're born with. It's not genetic. There's not people that are born confident and then people that are born without confidence. It's, it's a learned behavior. It's modeled. It's things that we believe and things that we shouldn't believe that are holding us back, Right. So how do you become confident? Like a takeaway would be just do what you say and say what you do. Say what you do, do what you say. Like just reverse those. That's one of the things I learned really young from one of my earlier supervisors, probably a McDonald's manager. He's like, hey, say what you're going to do and do what you're going to say. And the problem is that most people are unwilling to keep promises or commitments to themselves. And therefore, if they can't even keep it to themselves, they're not going to keep it to other people. It just gets worse. It gets exponentially worse because we're all genuinely somewhat selfish And if we can't make our own commitments to ourselves and follow through and do what we say we're going to do, then we're going to be less effective making those commitments and promises to other people. It's just how it is. And so when we lie to ourselves, like let's say if you're going on a fitness journey or you say, I'm going to go to work out five days a week this week, and you start out that Monday morning and you're all pumped. And then Wednesday comes around, you're like, oh, I'm just too tired. I don't feel like going. And then you quit and you don't go that day. And then I'll just work out extra hard tomorrow since I'm not going today. And you kind of just bargain with yourself, all these little crappy things that are going through your mind. And then you get to Friday and you go, oh, crap, I didn't work out Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Like, man, like I really fell off. Well, I guess, you know what? I'm not really cut out for this. I'm just going to take a break. I, I guess it just, it just doesn't work for me, right? Totally. Well, well, that, if you don't think that's going to kill your confidence, what else will? Because if you just lied to yourself and didn't even keep promises to yourself, your confidence is going to suffer really bad. So make even the smallest commitments to yourself. Like I'm going to get up at this time. I'm going to eat healthy meals. I'm going to do my lead gens and my follow-ups. I'm going to like, just make sure like, what is the plan of your success? And if you just say you're going to do that, write it down and tell an accountability partner or work with a coach and you held yourself to those things, you don't think you're going to get confidence because it's a circular relationship. We have to have the confidence to do the task. Task and repetition gets you the result. And now there's the reward. You're like, oh my God, I got the reward. That's, that's it's the result that I wanted. And then that gives you more confidence. And then the next round comes and it's just, it's just waves that just keep coming and your confidence goes and grows and grows. And I'll tell you, there's always a warning here because if you do that one thing wrong, you, if you struggle with integrity, if you let somebody down, if you lie or you cheat or you steal, like that confidence that you had built up for that long period of time will just come crashing down. So you always have to make sure you're keeping yourself in check, but you got to do the stuff. And when you start to keep your promises to yourself, it's a whole lot easier to start keeping promises to everybody else. And when you believe in yourself and your confidence is built up, your whole audience sees it, feels it, senses it, the whole thing. Right. Totally. You know, and and it also goes further than that. I think that 
how you carry yourself, how you take care of yourself, your fitness, all that plays into your confidence. Because as much as we like to hear that phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. Let's just judge everybody from the inside, not what we see. Like we all hear that. And it sounds amazing. Like give me that unicorns and rainbow world. Cause that just sounds amazing. I will sign up. Lisa, you will sign up for that like right away, but it's not based in reality. So don't think that you're, if you're 150 pounds overweight and you don't take care of yourself, that you're not going to be judged. It's just, it's just going to happen. I've been there. I've been overweight and I could feel the lower confidence that I had. And, and I get it, you know, cause I have friends that are big and they're like, Oh man, I'm, I'm large and in charge and I'm confident no matter what I look like. You know what? That's full of shit because I used to say the same thing when I wasn't where I wanted to be because I was lying to myself. But every time I looked in that mirror, there was no lying to myself looking in that mirror. And I knew that that was fake confidence that I would put on an act in front of people until I truly started to take care of myself and be more focused on my appearance and how I carry myself and how my communication skills I had to go learn. All these things are skills and things that you learn and you apply. And and most people are just unwilling to have these tough conversations with people. They don't want to hurt their feelings and stuff like that. But it's like, guys, if you're lower on confidence, look in the mirror and you may be finding a source of your low confidence, really. You know, and 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 if you're single and you're out there, and this is like I have a lot of single friends who are like they always have a, a checklist of all the ideal people like that they would like date. Like, oh, they gotta be this and they gotta be smart and they gotta be funny and they gotta be physically fit. And and I read that and I go, man, that sounds like an amazing person. I don't know if you're gonna find that, but it sounds like an amazing person. But then I said, Okay, what's here's the real question I'm gonna ask you. Are you the right person to attract that person on your list? Great question. And most of them can't answer that. Oh, I mean, there's, I have to do stuff too. I have to make <laughs> myself better. They should just love me for who I am. Oh, like, great. No, just look at me. No. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you have well, to be the right person to attract the perfect person. You have to become that. It takes work on both sides. It all takes work. And when you said that people don't want to have honest conversations that are based in reality with other people, Tony, People don't want to have honest, based in reality conversations with themselves, right? No. So, yeah, yeah I get it. Del- we call that delusion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you please tell the audience where they can find you for more of your content? You have an amazing podcast. You've got an amazing book. You've got trips coming up with 365 Driven. You're an amazing friend. And, and thank you for coming on. Well, thank thank you for the opportunity, Lisa. My website is 365driven.com. And from there, you'll find my best-selling book, Side Hustle Millionaire, and it's on Amazon as well. But easy website, websites there for the podcast, the groups, the communities, everything's in one place. And I'm going to have everything in the notes as well. Now, if somebody is fortunate enough to be well on their entrepreneurial journey and ready to take them to apply to your coaching program, how can they find you through that? It's all on the website. Keep it simple. I try not to confuse because, you know, we always hear from different marketing people. If you confuse, you lose. So I just keep it simple. 365driven.com. Well, those people are right. Confused people don't take action. So that's right. It's a smart, smart technique. All right, my friend, take care. Thank you again so much. For more information on the direct AF sales book or custom dice course or workbook, Go on over to directafsales.com. There's going to be a discount code for all the listeners there. It's code directaf20. 
and grab yours today. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please leave me a review. Make sure you subscribe and even better, share it with a friend so that we can share our message and our content and help as many people as we can. Thanks, guys.